Welcome to this bonus episode of Make the Shift, the podcast that helps you work better beyond the nine to five. In this episode, you'll hear our full chat with sleep expert, Dr. Jade Murray, who's a postdoctoral research fellow at Monash University, looking at the effects of body clock misalignment and shift workers. We go into what actually happens when you try to work at a time when your body wants to sleep and how we can train our sleep habits to make sure you get enough sleep even when you're shift working. I am Dr. Jade Murray. I'm from Monash University and I'm a postdoctoral research fellow there. And my primary field of research is circadian misalignment and health, and in particular mental health, but with a focus on shift work and the body clock misalignment that arises from that. So I'm also investigating other areas that include uh, looking at older populations and what happens with body clock misalignment and the potential link between circadian disruption and dementia and Alzheimer's disease as well. Circadian misalignment. Tell me what that is. So circadian misalignment refers to a misalignment between our body clock. Circadian refers to a 24-hour cycle. So circa is about and Deanne is a, a day, so about a day. So our body clock or our circadian clock generates all of the rhythms that we see in our biological systems in our body. And one of the major parts of that is our sleep-wake cycle, and it's responsible for keeping that to a 24-hour cycle and synchronizing that to the 24-hour day. And how did you get into that field of study in the first place? What, What was it for you that captured that spark? I think it's the fact that it's relatable, but also that element that although we all sleep and we know quite a lot about sleep, we actually are only just beginning to understand how sleep and particularly our circadian clock um, and our body clock and the timing of that clock has such a big impact on not just sleep, but every element of health. And as I said before, I'm looking at investigating the link between our body clock misalignment and dementia. And so it it has such a breadth in its importance to general health that I feel like it's an area where we can actually really make some progress and do some good for the world. (laughs) Okay. There's so many points in that I want to pick up on, but I think we should probably establish the basics first. So when you talk about circadian misalignment, how does that look for say a shift worker who is working odd hours and that stuff? As a basic sort of overview of the circadian rhythms at night, our circadian system drops to very little alerting signal. So there's nothing coming through as a signal to say you should be awake or alert. And then as we begin to wake and start our normal typical day, that signaling increases across the course of the day because the longer we're awake, we also have what we call homeostatic pressure that builds to sleep. And so our signaling from our circadian system increases our alertness to prevent any just haphazard falling asleep at any given moment. Again, once we go to bed, our alerting signal drops right off. And so in the context of shift work, essentially what they're doing is trying to work when that circadian system is at its very minimal for alertness and you're combating that lack of alertness signal. And oftentimes what happens is that there's been limited sleep prior to that, in addition to the limited circadian signal, that then means you're also fighting an increased level of homeostatic sleep pressure or that drive 
to need to sleep. And so whilst shift workers can over a certain number of days of say night shift, for example, begin to slowly adapt by shifting the timing of their body clock. Very rarely is there full adaptation where they actually completely switch around. And so they're always fighting against that lack of alerting signal. And then conversely, during the day when they're trying to sleep, they're also combating that signaling for alertness. And it's why no matter how tired they sometimes feel after a night shift, sometimes they really struggle to sleep because their their circadian system is telling them it's time to be awake. And so that is the key for misalignment is that the sleep and wake doesn't align with what's going on internally. So some people adapt really, really quickly and their body clocks can change really, really quickly. And it's unlikely that they'll ever be fully adapted, but they adapt better and faster. Other people um, don't adapt very easily at all. Other people adapt really easily to night shift, but then struggle to shift back to functioning in a normal day-night cycle. And it's also very dependent on the number of nights they do in a row as well. The more you do, the more you tend to be able to slowly adapt across that time. But of course, then that makes it more difficult to shift back when you go back to day night. That's interesting because I think employers are pretty keen to make sure that nobody really, nobody wants to get stuck on a night shift. So they employ this rotating roster, which means that nobody's ever really stuck doing nights. But of course, conversely, that means that you've got this crossover period where your body gets used to doing night shift and then has to get used to doing a day shift again. That must have a a massive impact on on your circadian cycle as well. Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, and this is anecdotally, I've worked with a lot of shift workers who it impacts greatly their time off. And for a lot of shift workers, that's actually probably the worst bit. They can manage to work and do the night shift and they find ways to cope and mechanisms to help them uh, work through the night shifts. But then the bit that they probably don't like the most is the fact that when they get to their days off where they have to revert very quickly back to operating during the day, sleeping at night, that is all a bit messed up because of the body clock. And so they find that really frustrating that on their days off, they've just left with no energy and no really motivation to to function. And it's particularly hard for, you know, some of the younger shift workers with families who also need to juggle all of that as well. I want to I want to sort of delve a little bit deeper into what's happening to us physiologically. Let's let's say that for example, I'm going to go and do a night shift tonight. Tell me what's happening to somebody's body when they do that. Yeah, so essentially as like I said before, they're basically operating at a time where that circadian rhythm not only for alertness for our sleep and wake, but also for all our hormonal physiological processes. So basically what you're doing is sending mixed messages to your body clock because all of those hormonal processes cascade from one another. So when, for example, we have our hormone that tells us that it's nighttime and sleep, our melatonin, when we suppress that, there's a cascading effect on how that interferes with all of the other physiological processes as well. And we're not entirely sure of all of those processes and exactly the mechanisms behind those processes, but essentially you're basically causing a little bit of confusion within those. And so one of the typical things people look at or and anecdotally shift workers can probably relate to is feeling hungry and their appetite and the changes that has in appetite. I mean, for most of us, normally we wouldn't ever feel the need to get up in the middle of the night and have something to eat. 
because such is the process of our rhythms of hormones that control appetite that we just don't feel hungry. But when we're awake, that all gets a little bit disturbed and suddenly we feel like maybe we're hungry or we eat. So that's one example of that disruption to that normal rhythm. And so it's not only the external feature of and behavior of sleep and wake that gets disturbed with the internal process, but some of those internal processes can become misaligned as well. So yeah, for example, when we have our body temperature minimum normally has a relationship with the timing of other physiological processes and they can become misaligned within your body as well. Uh, And all of that has cascading effects on acute health and well-being, but also chronic health and well-being as well. Okay. Maybe if you want to just talk a little bit about what good sleep actually is, because I think a lot of people do say, yeah, you got to get your eight hours every night. But (laughs) for a shift worker, uh, firstly, what night? (laughs) And secondly, eight hours, is is that the minimum? Is that the baseline? What is it? Yeah, that's a really good question and a really good point in that what is good for one person isn't necessarily what's best for another person. It's highly individual. Of course, there are certain limits within sleep. So we've identified that some people are definitely long sleepers and nine to 10 hours is what they really need to function best. Others are short sleepers and six to seven hours is sufficient for them. What is really important, and I think I'm going to take this off track now, is that subjectively and objectively, it can differ quite significantly. So some people think that, oh, I can, I'm fine on five hours because subjectively they feel fine. And we probably do have particular mechanisms within our brains that help us sort of overcome any of that tiredness. But if you measure them objectively on things like reaction time and stuff like that, they're actually functioning much more poorly than they would anticipate. We're also more recently learning that good sleep isn't actually necessarily how much sleep you get. Consistency and regularity is incredibly important to sleep. And I know that shift workers listening to this will go, oh my God, what a silly woman telling me that. But, you know, in normal day, uh, night sleepers, day workers, if you can go to sleep at approximately the same time every night, wake at approximately the same time every day, and even on weekends as much as possible, you'll find that that has a much greater impact on your health outcomes and your well-being than how long you actually slept. And I understand that for shift workers that can be really difficult, but they can introduce consistency in other ways as well. So when they're working night shift, going to bed at approximately the same time every time they come home in the morning, keeping their routines between each rotation as similar as possible and trying to maintain throughout any period of any given schedule they're on as much consistency as possible will actually help improve their sleep and how they feel as well. So yeah, in answer to that broader question of what is good sleep, it is about how much sleep you get, but it's it's also very much about the consistency of your routines and the regularity of your sleep timing. And yeah. How do I know as a non-sleep expert whether kind of my routines are good enough? Are there red flags I should be looking for? Are there sort of things I can concentrate on? A lot of it comes down to 
what suits your lifestyle. So, and I'll give an example with a completely different disorder and that's delayed sleep wake phase disorder. I studied this disorder in my PhD and it's a disorder where people's body clocks um, are timed really, really late. So these are people whose signal for sleep, their melatonin onset, things like that don't happen until say three o'clock in the morning. And then they sleep very happily until say 11 or 12 o'clock the next day. When they are left to that schedule, say on holidays when they have no work, no commitments, they're very healthy. They get excellent quality of sleep because they're sleeping in tune with the timing of their body clock and they're getting sufficient sleep and they're generally fairly consistent in the timing of their sleep. The problem is introduced when they need to fit a societal sort of standard of you need to be up at eight o'clock in order to go to school because it's a very common disorder in um, adolescence or you need to be up at this time to go to work and that's where it all falls apart. They can't get to sleep any earlier because their body clock's telling them no, no, it's not time yet, but they still have this expectation that they need to be up at a certain time. So you, even as a shift worker or even not as just a regular sleeper, have that sense of how refreshed you feel when you wake up, how well you feel you're functioning during the day and yeah, really how consistent you are on your normal bedtimes, how easy it is to fall asleep at night. If you're jumping all over the place if your normal bedtime is 11, but then you decide, oh, I'm going to go to bed at eight o'clock tonight and then wonder why you can't fall asleep. And then the next day potentially don't feel as good because, you know, you had to get up earlier or something like that. I guess it's those things that will tell you that your sleep and your circadian rhythm is a little bit misaligned. But not getting enough sleep, I sort of break down into, I guess, two components. One is the acute effects and the other are the more chronic long-term effects of continued sleep deprivation and body clock misalignment. And so those acute effects probably more relate to safety issues, things like making errors in judgment. So driving in a lot of the work we've done with nurses and hospital and healthcare professionals, it's about making errors in their in their job, but that is just as applicable to any other industry as well. And so Acutely, a lot of those comes down to a lot of those sorts of things, but also just that general malaise you feel when, I mean, we've all, even if we haven't been shift workers, at some point been deprived of sleep and just felt ordinary until we can sort of recover from that. But ongoing, when you're continually sleep deprived and never sort of getting a sufficient amount of sleep and a good quality sleep, that continued malaise then can lead into more longer term effects that it has on particularly our mental health, that body clock misalignment and sleep deprivation is very much linked to depression and anxiety and stress. Uh, For a lot of people, it can increase the risk of burnout. Uh, There's also lots of evidence linking shift work in particular and that sleep deprivation and or body clock misalignment to other more serious health outcomes. It's linked with cancer, gastrointestinal problems, cardiovascular problems, lots of different biological and physiological diseases that it's been associated with as well. I guess from the perspective of a shift worker, hearing that about your job, that's that's pretty scary. Like that gets pretty real pretty quick. Is that something that people should be worried about? Uh, I think absolutely they should have it in their minds. But 
rather than being terrified of those things coming about, use it as a motivator to manage their sleep because whilst we'll never ever have it perfect for shift workers because it just is against the natural flow of how we are as humans designed to operate, we can manage it and make it better. There's the likelihood that for some people maybe shift work just really isn't for them and that's an individual decision to make. But there's certainly many ways of helping to improve the management of your sleep and the management of everything else that comes around that to improve those things and greatly reduce the risk of any of those detrimental outcomes that I mentioned before. And so the key from that message, whilst the outcomes can be quite horrifying and a bit scary, it is most definitely modifiable, the risk for that and, and manageable. Anecdotally, I've just encountered with shift workers in particular, they're a little bit terrified of adjusting anything they do because whilst it might not be perfect, they're really scared that anything they do to change it might make it worse. And so gentle management from a healthcare professional or a sleep physician or even the employer, I guess it needs to be that gentle approach and not scare them into you have to do it this way, but really helping them understand the importance of managing it properly. And I know the key to that also is them understanding that they need to prioritize sleep as much as possible. One of the things I did want to ask you about is we were speaking with a nurse. Her name was Jules and she's a grad nurse. And what we picked up on and decided together was, you know, there's there's a little bit of information when you go to nursing school about shift work, but completely explainably, most of when you go to nursing school is about being a nurse. It's such an integral part of the job, but people don't treat it that way. If you had the sleeping unit at nurse university, what would be in there that you would teach? That is a really good question. So, um, and I really like the whole overview of that in terms of particularly for nurses as healthcare professionals, it always quite surprises me how little emphasis there is on that in terms of their training and the importance of that. But if you were to incorporate that as part of their training, I would probably really emphasize good sleep habits and we call that sleep hygiene because I think those things are taken as a little bit tokenistic, but in actual fact, they're incredibly important. But just handing someone a flyer with, you should do these things, these good habits, isn't really sort of the way to reinforce that. I think really emphasizing and putting it into practice and making it a part of what they learn so that from the very beginning, they understand the importance of that before they, I suppose, develop their own bad habits would probably be the first element of that. Emphasizing that there actually is help available to manage. So not only with GPs, but also there are sleep physicians and sleep psychologists who are available to help manage these things. And sometimes they point out the obvious, they point out what you already know, but that reinforcement of this is the best approach to help manage can be uh, really valuable to someone who's struggling with their sleep. 
we do all go for the the nurses and the firemen and the policemen when we're talking about shift workers, but it is also the tram drivers and the people at the check-in desk at the airport and all those other people who might not necessarily have the same focus or goodwill around their job that their shift workers and you know all these people are still required for society to to function. They're not necessarily in a job where they go to university and they learn how to do it. Is that the job of their employer to go, okay, well, now you're moving into this work. This is now how you, I suppose, not how you run your life because we don't want to be teaching people how to live their lives, but these are some of the things you should be looking out for. Absolutely. Yes, I think definitely. And you raise a really good point that we talk often of, yeah, policemen, firemen, nurses who most of them have quite high adrenaline jobs. And even for firemen who might have a night where it's very slow, but then all of a sudden there's a fire, that adrenaline kicks in. But for the person standing on the desk at um, the airport or you know, standing on a factory production line where it's, there's no adrenaline, it's, it's potentially even harder to maintain that level of uh, alertness and manage their fatigue across the course of a night. And then also manage that during the day in their daytime lives. So, yeah, I think it's exceptionally important for employers to introduce that or have that as part of their training regime in the beginning. And I wouldn't necessarily put it as expectations, but frame it more in the terms of guidelines and help and support and offer that open door policy where they do, if they are struggling, that there isn't any stigma around describing that trouble that they're having to their employer, their superior, because ultimately it has implications for not only the individual but the employer if safety is not adhered to and and can't be because someone's so tired or really struggling. It's in the best interest of the employer as well to, to offer as much support as they can. And I think as well, just on that stigma point, what's really interesting to me is we almost act as if shift work is is not a hard thing to do. We almost act as if shift work is just, oh yeah, you you wake up at three o'clock in the morning. But you, as you've said before, you're fighting your body and you're fighting these natural circadian rhythms. So it actually, it is quite a, a difficult thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And to those who don't do shift work or might have that idea that it's not really that hard, they just need to think back to any time that they've had to wake up at two o'clock in the morning because they were catching a plane or something like that. And how that awful, groggy, sick feeling that you get because you're awake at a time when you're not used to that. That's the thing that shift workers are operating with. And probably particularly those in the less adrenaline fueled industries, that that's what they're fighting all the time. And it is difficult mentally and it has an impact physiologically as well. So we've we've talked a little bit about what the what the the shift workers themselves can do, but we don't want to lump them with all the all the responsibility because I think they've probably got enough already. What expectations should the employees and the shift workers themselves have of their organisations? What what should they be looking for from from their employers? I think first and foremost, employers should be able to expect that they come first in terms of their health and well being particularly in the context of shift work. And, and so from there, I guess what branches is that one, what how they implement their rosters is done in such a way that is for the best interests of the employees and not just 
productivity or how it works for the employer. So that expectation, as I said before, I think being able to approach your superior in any employment scenario when you're struggling and not feeling that you're not being taken seriously or that it's not important to your employer is something that employees should should expect that they can raise their concerns and then i think probably some level of of training that goes beyond just the tokenistic yeah here's a handout on how to manage your sleep now that you're doing shift work and i know a lot of workplaces now have ohs representatives that help manage those kinds of element of safety within the workplace, but making sure they're very well versed on all things sleep and everything related to that, the managing exercise, diet, all of that in combination. And if that's not the case, then I think the onus is on the employer to have regular workshops or it's things like that where you have someone come in to talk about it and give your employees the opportunity to ask questions and and be guided by a professional as well. From the employer's perspective, that cost is mitigated when you improve individual and employee happiness, sleep, safety, all of that. So the cost really is irrelevant at that point for the employer. We've got a couple of episodes, one on FIFO and one on family. So I might just touch on FIFO first. It, it often includes long periods of people being away or people sometimes being on night shift. Sometimes that might be one week on, one week off. Sometimes that might be a couple of weeks stint. Can you talk a little bit around some of the effects on on people's sleep? Maybe as well, they might be sharing accommodation with some of their you know co-workers and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit around some of those effects as well? In some ways, FIFO probably have it a little bit easier because they're with a group of people who are doing the same thing. And although, yes, they might be sharing with Bob that snores and all of that, they tend to be on at least a similar rotation or schedule that helps them all fit together. But this is an area where employers have a lot of opportunity to help manage from the sleep and circadian perspective. So introducing lighting interventions is an excellent uh, opportunity in a FIFO setting um, because they're all doing the same thing. That's much harder for individuals at home where they've got to run a family and their family doesn't necessarily want to be blasted with bright light at night when they're actually needing to go to sleep and need dim light. But in a FIFO setting where everyone's doing the same thing, having designated areas within a community of FIFO workers where it's this is for night shift, this is for day shift, those sorts of things can really help employers aid the management for their employees. But I think for anyone who snores, on the one hand, I think moving them is actually not a bad idea because, I mean, it's better than asking the non-snorer to have to sleep with earplugs all night, for example, or because then that becomes the onus is then on them. There is an opportunity for the employer to provide assistance. So having them assessed for sleep apnea, because sleep apnea is a huge problem in the community. It's one of the biggest sleep concerns in society. And it also greatly impacts the quality of sleep people get. And so combine that with shift work and it's not ideal at all. And so there's an opportunity there for the employer to help them uh, and support them and have them assessed for sleep apnea and perhaps even provide 
some level of funding for treatment, whatever the case may be. Awesome. All right. I want to touch on a family mentioning sort of the impact of family on sleep patterns. You mentioned that before about people not wanting to blast their family with light at three o'clock in the morning. Are there things that we can do to incorporate to maybe make sure that our family's getting enough sleep and getting good sleep around shift work? At the risk of sounding a bit obvious, but I think one of the primary things shift workers can do is have a very frank discussion with their family and particularly their significant other, especially if they have young children. And uh, yeah, by frank, I mean, really describe the way shift work makes them feel and the importance of what they need. And then also balancing that, you know, with the fact that yes, my partner and our children and everyone else in the household still needs to function. And so I can't expect them to tiptoe around the house all day, but discussing as a family, okay, maybe we set up when I'm on night shift, this is my designated sleep space during the day so that I can be undisturbed. Ensuring that when my partner leaves the house for the day and I'm asleep, they stick a sign on the door that says, do not disturb shift workers sleeping, things like that. And I guess it also is really important to reiterate that for a lot of shift workers, part of the appeal of shift work is that it helps family life. It means they're available at various different times to do things, but that also very much needs to be balanced with prioritizing sleep. So if you're, for example, staying awake after your shift uh, so that you can then drive the kids to school and then only sleeping until it's time to have to go and pick them up again, you may need to reconsider how you do that. And perhaps there's an opportunity there for employers to step in and help in certain ways with that, whether it's some sort of subsidy for childcare or, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what those solutions might be, but there are definitely opportunities for employers to aid in that family life. But also, you know, if there's an expectation from family members that, oh, you'll be home in the morning, you can take the kids to school, for them to understand that that could actually be quite dangerous. You know, they're coming off a long night shift, they're tired, maybe it's not ideal that they're taking the kids to school. Maybe it is better if they go straight to sleep but then pick the kids up and finding ways to compromise within the family. And and it stems from having that really frank discussion with your family members uh, about that as well. Tell me about scheduled napping and what that is. Yeah. So some workplaces and so firefighters are a really good example where they're allowed to nap on shift in between emergencies. I think ambulance officers are the same, but In other workplaces too, there's opportunity for employers and a lot of employers are moving toward that to offer during the night shift a short break that allows them, the individual to nap. And it only has to be short because we know that napping is best if it's kept to 15 to 20 minutes because that avoids then shifting into deeper stages of sleep and you avoid waking up feeling really groggy and what we call sleep inertia, that horrible sick feeling you get. Workplaces that offer designated time, even just once a night for shift workers to have a quick nap. It just helps bring that level of, I mentioned uh, earlier, sleep pressure. It just drops that a little bit and helps maintain alertness for a little bit longer. And it improves then the safety, the well-being of the employee, not only for the remainder of their shift, but then also perhaps their drive home, their commute home and their overall well-being as well. A 15-minute nap is very unlikely to significantly impact subsequent sleep later on. Where you might get into trouble is if you say on your first day off, you 
wake up at say 10 o'clock in the morning and say, right, I'm going to do the rest of my day until normal bedtime. But then they get to five o'clock and go, I'm so tired. I'm just going to have a quick nap and nap for two hours. That is likely to then significantly impact their ability to fall asleep later. But that very short, sharp nap is just enough to just bring that level of sleep pressure down enough that they can sort of operate more easily without then really impacting any further sleep. So if an employer said, right, that sounds like a great idea, let's implement that tomorrow, what do they need to be looking at? Importantly, that it doesn't have to be mandatory. Obviously, for some people, they don't want to, they don't feel the need, that they provide sufficient space for that to occur and napping to happen, whether it's just an armchair in a private room or a mattress or something like that, and then discussing it with their employees and determining when is going to be the best time for you. So it would be unfair to then have a schedule if you had 10 people on the roster for that night and to fit them all in, you had to start them the first one at 11 o'clock when you only started your shift at 10. That's not fair. So you have to sort of also then find a way to manage it that it fits best, not only with the individual, but also then manage the time for the shift. I think it was really important for employers to offer the opportunity on a reasonably regular basis to have these kinds of discussions with their employees and to really get a sense from their employees what is most valuable to them. It's it's not enough to just go onto the internet and go, okay, this is a list of things as an employer I can do, bam, going to implement them. You really need to tailor it to your workplace because the culture of the workplace is also really the driver behind how successful some of the implementation of those things can be. And if you have a culture where napping or lighting or rostering isn't, if you don't introduce it in the right way, dependent on your culture of workplace, it won't succeed. Uh, And the best way to succeed is to really have the import from the people who it matters to. We are thankfully slowly moving towards a society that recognises that you're not the hero for sleeping four hours a night and that in actual fact, if you can manage to fit your day in and also sleep eight eight hours a, a night, thereabouts, you're the hero, not the other way around. And that just warms my heart that we're slowly shifting towards that because it's so incredibly important. Make the Shift is a podcast produced as part of the WorkWell in Wellington Toolkit by Wellington Primary Care Partnership in conjunction with WorkSafe. This podcast was recorded and edited in Gippsland on the traditional lands of the Gunai Kurnai and Bunurong peoples. It was produced by Jet Streamer and voiced by Chris Plumridge. For more episodes, search for Make the Shift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. For more information about the Working Well in Wellington initiative or to download the toolkit, visit maketheshift.org.au.